Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me is my great co-host, Dixie Cochran. Hello, I'm the great co-host. The great That's co-host. my official title. <laughs> we have to come up with Matthew's title when he comes back on, because Matthew's feeling ill today, so it's just Dixie and I running solo today. Yeah, it's not really solo, it's a duo, but you know. Well, it, it is weirdly kind of quiet, because also on top of this, um, my family have gone off to uh, a convention in Las Vegas. So oh, just, yeah, you're like alone in the house for the first time in forever. Yeah, so it's just me and the dog, and just talking to you, so it's like, it's it's intimate, it's nice, it's a little kind of like fireside chat. I actually was thinking of calling it a fireside chat when I was walking back here with my coffee, because it's like finally cold enough that it's like, I'm like cozy in my sweater in my yeah. house. Drinking my 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 hot beverage, whereas sometimes I'm sitting here drinking a hot beverage and like wearing a tank top and sweating, being <laughs> like it's too hot for coffee, but I'm drinking coffee anyway because I have a problem. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, this is like like get getting into that 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 cozy weather, which I really love because I like layering. I uh, I grew to love layering when I lived in Seattle, so I I am big on wearing like you know a tank top under a big cozy sweater under my coat. <laughs> No, completely. I mean, uh, uh, because it's just me, I've been giving Darby uh, five walks a day now because Darby loves to walk. Um, and normally there are three people to walk her. Now it's just me. Uh, so mm -hmm. we, I'm getting up at like 5, 3 in the morning to walk her and then 7 and then 10. So it's like throughout the day, it's like I had to have different outfits because of what the temperature might be outside in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember those times when you wake up and it's like 32 and then by midday it's like 60 and you're like, what yes. happened? yes. So yeah, I, I've definitely fallen in love with with layers. I completely with you on that. Yeah. Also, they just look nice. It's a it, it makes you look put together. It does. It does. Fireside uh, chat with Eddie and Dixie. Uh, so actually, uh, we've been trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about today, and we thought it might be good to kind of reconnect about where we're at, just in terms of like. Uh, you know, conventions and travel and, you know, mm -hmm. the industry in general. Speaking uh, of fireside chats, actually, you mm -hmm. might have a real fireside chat in January. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 if all the cards play right, everything, you know, goes, goes the right way. It, it, we're hoping that both of us will be able to attend midwinter in January. Um, I think that you're, you're definitely going, right? Yes. Yeah, I am. I am most likely going at, at this point, uh, but I, I haven't bought a ticket yet, mm -hmm. but um. At the same time, it'll be interesting because I think some of the conventions that we're going to soon, we're not going as Onyx Path. Right. We're going as Dixie and Eddie, and we're going to hang out with our friends. And, you know, if you see us, they like, say hi. But we're not going to, like, do the big marketing thing. Right. Um, or even to run demos or anything like, like that, which is still a bit of a change from, you know, what conventions used to be for us. <laughs> Yeah, and that and that's definitely kind of a good uh, starting point because uh, uh, the midwinter thing came about because actually um, I had been talking to a, a few friends, and I was, I was like, I need to see if I'm comfortable going back to conventions. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I thought in 2020 I was like, I pretty much scrubbed 2020. Like, okay, I'll, I'll do conventions 2021. And 2021 happened, and it's like, okay, so I guess I'm still not doing conventions. Yeah, it didn't really get better like we thought it would. That no. Quickly. <laughs> no, it didn't. Um, and then, uh, really, it was I was watching Gen Con. Uh, yeah. I, I was like, because prior to August of this year, anytime there was a large gathering, there was an outbreak pretty much consistently. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was like, okay, if Gen Con goes off and there's not a huge outbreak, 
that's a, that's a step in the right direction for for me and that's yeah. like forever but for me same with dragon con which i didn't go to this past year but there wasn't like a big outbreak afterwards that right. that, that i heard about there mm-hmm. there, there might have been small ones here and there i know there were a couple of people at the convention who were like oh shit i i, I that's a positive you know right but um I didn't hear anything about like a major outbreak in the wake of Dragon Con, which to me, like Dragon Con was even scarier to me than Gen Con because yeah. Dragon Con's a 24 hour party con. Right. And like people aren't using their best judgment at Dragon Con usually. No. But pretty much all the pictures I saw from it, like people were in their masks and stuff. It was, it was, it was going okay. So yeah. Exactly. Um, and so uh, both of us, I know we're talking about like, okay, these are kind of metrics of like, how things are going to look. It's like, okay. You know, things look good. Um, uh, there was some brief discussion around uh, just individuals going to uh, PAX Unplugged at the end of the year. Uh, and I debated it and I ultimately said no, because it's a PAX Unplugged is a big convention. Um, and while I think PAX will make, manage it pretty well, because PAX as a company is really good at managing large events. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a lot of people and a yeah. lot of, points of potential failure yeah i am i'm uh, going so, to pack some plugged um for one day right uh which is mm-hmm. like we had talked as a company about going obviously and decided no for that reason um mm-hmm. and also for the reason that a couple of us who usually work the booth have various sensory issues and other things that make it really difficult to wear a mask for that long right um and so like thinking about having to be in a mask for like four days straight uh, while I'm trying to talk to people about games in a loud room mm-hmm. sounded like a nightmare. Yeah. But yeah. having to wear a mask while it's just me and my boyfriend walking around the convention is a, is hugely different, right? Right. Hugely, hugely different. It, uh, it, yeah. Well, I was, and it's similar for me. It's like, um, I, if it, I want other people to wear masks, but also it's hard for me to hear what they're saying when they're wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of the sensory issues I was talking right, about. Right, right, yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah <laughs> building on that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, because people don't know how to project wearing a mask, which is fine. Not everyone is thinking about a train in that. Whereas also, um, like quite a lot of folks here know also that I have uh, like mild face blindness, mm-hmm. and so that may, that it's a lot harder when I can only see eyes. Yeah, to mm-hmm. recognize people that I have talked to previously. Right. Uh, so. Um, that's why I made the decision that I would try to shoot for midwinter. And there's a few reasons uh, for that one. I mean, just on a personal level, uh, which has always been a good convention for Onyx path in general. And for me in particular, um, I mean, I did my first play test of Pugmire there. I did my first play test of Aberrant there. Um, you know, so I mean, it, it's, it's always been a nice chill convention from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of the people who go to midwinter traditionally. I mean, I have a lot of friends there, uh, but also, uh, like Dixie said, I'm going just as a fan, right? I'm, 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 I have a badge. I'm paying for my badge. I'm maybe we'll sign up for events, but honestly, I think more likely we're mm-hmm. just going to grab board games and just play ad hoc kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, hang out with the monarch, um, play Mario Kart, what have you. Uh, and for me, I think that'll be helpful. One, just even as an introvert, I still want to see my friends. It's been two damn years, and I want to actually see my friends and, and you know give them hugs and stuff. Uh, but also by going in that way without obligation, if I do just get overwhelmed, I can change my plane ticket and go home if I have to. Yeah. Or you can like, like what I found when I did kind of a larger friend gathering recently 
mm-hmm. with that being able to just go to your room right was very big because even, even with just it was 14 people that all got together but it was 14 pretty big personalities mm-hmm. and so yeah there were times when someone would just be like i'm going to my room mm-hmm. and they would go to their room and do whatever they were doing in their room reading playing on their phone whatever and they would come back out after a while mm-hmm. and like that's also a thing you can do at a convention like uh midwinter very easily because right. it's all in one hotel it's not like you know dragon con was like five hotels or dragon con or whatever or even packs unplugged where like getting back to your room is hard right it um, takes a while yeah like you can just go to the elevator and go to mm-hmm. your room and be like okay i have decompressed i can go back downstairs right so uh when we started thinking about this topic one of the first things that came to my mind is that uh I think there are a lot of signs of things happening that feel like, oh, we're getting back to normal, but mm. there's a lot of underlying things that don't make it entirely true. Um, and one of those right. is creators and everyone's kind of collective mental health. I mean, we're mm. not only is there the anxiety around being around people have, but also uh, I was reading an article recently um, about why people are just much more rude lately. And a big part of it is we haven't had the practice to be around other people mm-hmm. um a lot of people it's like there's certain social niceties that if you don't practice them regularly you forget them or you don't you forget why they're important yeah uh, one of one of the things that i like uh have, have have worked on my my whole life is to not make things about me mm-hmm. uh which is a very adhd thing to do is to be like i was trying to relate to you but instead i made it about me shit mm-hmm. um and also not to just talk all the time and dominate all the conversations mm-hmm. because that's something else that I've always like as, as a very extroverted person who's very talkative, I, I can easily dominate a conversation without even meaning to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have noticed every time that I've gotten together with my friends in the past little bit here, I have just started like info dumping about something mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, Dixie, Dixie, we don't do that unless somebody asks. Right. Like, and it's great if somebody asks, but like, I don't need to just start telling you things for no reason. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we do have the podcast where I get to, you know, <laughs> just talk for an, an hour every week. But, right. um, but yeah, like I, I have gotten not not ruder so much, maybe maybe a little bit, but my extroversion and my ADHD have just gotten a little more pronounced. Where right. I'm like, oh god, people, please let me talk to you, mm-hmm. uh, because I've I've always liked talking to people. And the conventions have always been a bright spot in my year mm-hmm. until the past few years. Like I, I love going to conventions and I love doing it for work. And I, I, I love doing our summit in person, you know? Mm-hmm. So like not having any of that, I've been I'm like, you know, champing at the bit, like, please, 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 people, 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 give me people. <laughs> right. And it's been interesting because uh, I, I'm, I'm reaching a point where, um, conventions are reaching back out to me to see if I want to attend or participate and honestly, for the past two years, it's been like, no, no, thank you, no, thank you. And and I've been pretty clear about why. It's like it's it's not your event. It's I don't feel comfortable or safe right now. Um, but uh, I'm now hitting a point where it's like maybe things will be fine. Uh, so just just recently, uh, I had a convention reach out to me, and uh, I was like, so here's where I'm at. Um, I I, I think if things can you on this trend, I should be okay by the time your convention launches. There's a lot of factors. Um, I don't want to just drop out of your event because I'm feeling weird. Uh, so 
I was trending towards, you know, it's your call to make, but I understand if you're like, don't want to invite me because you can't rely on that. And mm -hmm. they were very receptive. It's like, no, we, a lot of our guests are saying that. Um, we recognize that this is going to be a very real thing. Uh, so, you know, please give us a heads up. Don't just like the day of, it's like, oh, of course not. I would never do that. I just, you know, God, I, my professional soul recoils at the idea of just not showing up unless it's like a critical emergency. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, knowing that I have that option makes me feel better and also makes me less likely to actually use it because like, okay, well, I, I feel like I'm safer now. And so I'll probably therefore be more comfortable actually going to the show. Yeah. I know that like PAX Unplugged has a whole pre-screening thing you can download mm -hmm. to like upload your vaccination card. Oh, okay. Uh, but if not, you have to have it with you mm -hmm. or you have to have a printed like proof of a negative test within the past like day or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's and and they're requir they're re requiring masks, obviously. Right. Um, I know that like some of the venues near me have been doing well enough that I've gone to a couple of shows, and mm -hmm. I'm going to a couple more shows next year. Mm -hmm. Um, one smaller one uh, and one like big arena show, mm -hmm. and like the smaller indoor venue near me where I saw uh. Foggy Molly recently mm -hmm. was like they checked your cards outside at a kiosk away from the door so oh, you weren't okay. even like in the venue yet mm -hmm. <laughs> so that they checked your cards against your ID you got a wristband then you went to the door and gave them your tickets you had to be masked the whole time unless you were actively eating or drinking mm -hmm. um, and they also don't allow um, like bags over a certain size and if they are a certain size they, they want them to be clear bags Mm -hmm. uh, so that staff isn't touching your shit when they're going through your bag. Mm. And like, that's all great in my opinion, you know, yeah. like I don't carry bags at shows. I make sure I wear something that has pockets. Right. Um, just cause dancing with a bag on is really annoying, yes. but like, it's a, it's, it's, it's a cool thing that, 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 that they've done. And I feel like the Paxes are doing the same sort of precautions, you know, they are doing their best to make sure that the line can move quickly to get into the con, um, they're going to have, you know, various check stations and they have, you know, a, a, a mask policy. Um, and all that makes me feel okay to go for like a day. Like I said, I'm not sure I, I'd, I'd want to do the five days, even if I wasn't like, if I, if I'm not working a con like that, I don't really mm. get five days of enjoyment out of it or four days or whatever. Right. Um, so I'd rather just go for the Saturday, which is what I'm doing and see mm -hmm. my friends. Like we're, we're, we're going to take a 72 hour trip to Philly. <laughs> And one of those days will be a convention. Nice. And that'll be fun. Um, and then, yeah, we've got, uh, in January, my 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 boyfriend is a guest at MAGFest. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll be going to MAGFest, which is here in D.C. I don't know if we're going to stay there or not, because we live so close. We might right. just, you know, take the train. Because mm -hmm. um, that way, also, we, have, we, we, we don't have to get a, a cat sitter. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's also not a huge one. And I'm interested to see what the Gaylord's policies are as of early next year, because with all the variants and stuff with, with, with COVID, which, you know, we're going to talk about obviously during this episode, mm -hmm. like I know that a lot of scientists are saying they just expect COVID to just be a thing now. Right. Like it's, it's going to be like the flu mm -hmm. where you have to get a vaccine possibly every year mm -hmm. and new variants are going to emerge mm -hmm. and that we just hope that by being, you know, as vaccinated as as possible that people will get mild to moderate symptoms instead of the really bad ones right and that is something that i have been seeing 
we, we mentioned before about how we didn't see any outbreaks uh, out after uh, the conventions in late 2021. But mm-hmm. I know both of us have seen individual reports of, oh, I got COVID, I got sick. But it's usually the, I felt like crap for a week or two, which is still yeah. not great. Don't get me wrong. That, that, that's, that's, that's not fun. Yeah. And we, still don't know what, and we still don't know what all the long-term effects are going to be. Right. But we, we, we have had a couple of freelancers who were vaccinated, mm-hmm. um, you know, get it. And have varying symptoms. Right. Like for some folks, it really is like, oh, I felt like crap for like a couple days. And then maybe, you know, had a little trouble like breathing for a while. Mm-hmm. And then some people it is like getting a really bad flu where you feel like shit for like two weeks. Um. So yeah, like we just don't know at this point. But it, honestly, like it's it's not going away, I don't think. I I'm not trying to be fatalist here. <laughs> But I just feel like we've gotten enough variants out there that there's going to be some form of it around for a while. Right. Um, uh, uh, but, I mean, all of this, you know, recognizing that this is the state of the situation now, um, combined with a lot of other factors, means that on a very real level, our industry has changed and probably mm-hmm. won't go back possibly ever, but certainly not in, in the near future. Um, and that brings with a lot of challenges. One of the reasons why, you know, I'm making this push to try to attend conventions again is that that's a part of my business. I mean, as a, as a self-employed freelancer, one of the ways that I get work is by going to conventions, meeting up with my contacts, staying in touch with them, uh, making my availability known, mm-hmm. talking about projects over uh, dinner or whatnot. Uh, and just, again, I mean, from a social level of just seeing my friends and, and in our industry, there's a lot of overlap between those things. Like a lot of times I would see my friends and also talk business. Uh, but I mean, that's a very hard to replicate part of the process. And I know pre-COVID, we had some freelancers uh, in Europe or Australia who often lamented and were frustrated. Like, we can't, I can't go to conventions. And having now been unavailable to go to them for two years myself, I, I recognize that's a very serious detriment. Yeah. Um, it's hard it's- to replicate. It's, it's, it's been a little different because there weren't any conventions to go to for a lot of that time. Well, <laughs> I think that for them, it's a combination of wanting to do the networking, but also just FOMO. Sure. Because, you know, I whenever my European freelancers go to conventions in Europe, I'm like, I want to go to that one. Mm-hmm. That one looks fun. Like, I want to go to Essenspiel really badly. Yeah, so do I. But it's very expensive to fly to Europe. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, like... It, it's 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 been weird because you're right. Vir- virtual conventions don't offer the same thing mm-hmm. um, because while they're great and I love how accessible they are, and I hope mm-hmm. that we keep doing virtual events, right? Um, even if we don't go completely virtual forever, like right. I want to keep doing some version of Onyx PathCon online. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because it's it's been fun for us, and it's nice to spend a weekend with all of our freelancers and everything. Um, and to get to talk to fans and chat. But there is a big difference between talking to you know a username and chat. And talking to a person who's just walked up to your booth right. and who, you know, maybe wants you to sign a book or has questions about how to become an artist in the industry or someone who is working on something and maybe wants you to write on it or edit it or whatever. Like there is a lot of networking that happens at conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, and while, you know, some like some things can replicate some of that, I, I don't I don't think anything can quite replicate it for real. Like, yes, there's Twitter, there's open calls, but like you might not see that. Or you might not, you know, know the person well enough or whatever versus getting to sit down and have a coffee with them or something. 
Right. And like you said, there is a uh, very real difference between person I've chatted with on Twitter and person I had a coffee with. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which might be partially because we are a little older. <laughs> sure. I know that there are like a lot of people for whom online friendships and relationships are maybe even stronger than meeting someone randomly in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that for me, just because of when I did grow up, that's still kind of my number one way of getting to know somebody is just being in the same place as them and being like, you seem cool. Let's, let's talk. Well, I mean, uh, to, to be clear, um, when I say different, I, I wasn't necessarily putting a qualitative spin on it. Um, because like, I okay. also have friends online that it would be weird. I think at this point, if I actually met them in person, I, I'm oh, yeah. so used to meeting Same. online at this point. Yeah. The, um, the, the other, uh, Dixie that I know who right. is way too similar to me. Um, she, she lives, I think somewhat near me <laughs> and I've um, never met her. And I'm like, I don't know if we could be in the same place. There might be some kind of like Dixie paradox that happens. Right. If you touch each other, you'll cancel each other out or something. Yeah. 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 Because like I met her on MySpace. Oh, wow. Because she, like, I was, you know, you, like, you're young, you, like, search for your name or whatever. I was a sure. teen. And I found another Dixie who was goth and had, like, David Bowie quotes and stuff on her wall. And wow. I was like, I was like, whoa, we're kind of similar. We should be friends. And we are still Facebook friends to this day. Um, That's amazing. And follow each other on Twitter. And I have never met her. There's, there's, there's been one time when we were supposed to be in the same place, but, I, but she didn't make it to the event. So oh. I've still never met her. For all I know, she's going to be at PAX Unplugged. I have, I have no idea. I should, I should check. Because uh, <laughs> I think she lives in this area now. Uh, but yeah, it's weird. Other Dixie, other goth Dixie, who also dyed her hair green at one point. Oh, jeez. And might, might have green hair right now and shade part of her head. Like, it's, it's, it's honestly kind of uncanny. That is, that <laughs> that is there's actually another green haired horror movie fiend, David Bowie loving Dixie out there. Yeah, it's, it seems like that's. Now, I won't say stalker because I'm. It's, it's obviously, it's, it's it's nice to have someone who's kind of like you, but also it's a little weird. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like we're 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 about the same age, I think, and we we just happen to be into very similar things. And yeah, she dyed her hair green a while back, and I was like, yes, another green Dixie. <laughs> so yeah, it's weird though. But I mean, it it so I mean it. I, I I don't mean to imply that there's like a, a qualitative difference between online or personal relationships, but mm-hmm. professional networking specifically is hard to replicate online. Right. Because like, if you do have a conversation, it's not as organic because you have to right. kind of plan to have a like voice or, or video, you know, conversation. Right. Like, especially for me as a, as a makeup wearing person, like I, I don't like just hopping on video without any prep time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I keep every now and then I will ask people who are having me like as a guest on their podcast like I was on the the op- opcast recently for mm-hmm. Trinity and I say like do y'all do video or just audio and half the time they're like oh like we like talk on video but don't worry we're, we're, we're just gonna use your audio and I'm like you don't understand I still want to look like a person for y'all right like I don't like I don't really have eyebrows. I would like to have them to mm-hmm. have a conversation with you. So I do need to know if people will be perceiving my face. Whereas at a convention, it's just kind of a given, right? That people are going to be perceiving my face on some level. That is, that is part of the point of it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So like, it's 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 just a different feeling as far as like I said, like having to 
plan it out, sit down, get 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 my microphone out, put my headphones on. You know, do I do I put my camera on? Do I not? Like da, 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 da. Whereas like you just walk around at a convention, and sometimes you see somebody, and you're like, I love your game. Uh, if you ever need an editor, here's my card. You know. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's it's there's intentionality with online uh, discourse that I think. That As makes people sense, yeah. embrace it more, that it may become more organic, but it's going to be a while collectively as a, as a culture before we get there. Because we have to, we are, everything everything feels artificial because we have to do it in a way that is counter to the way that we've learned how to do it just in the physical space. Well, yeah, yeah. Because like, I'm not, I mean, even when we talk about things like, you know, eye contact on camera, like mm-hmm. do I look straight up? My, like I try when I'm doing a panel to look at the camera as much as I can. Mm-hmm because I know that I'm talking to the audience. But if I'm talking to you, like it looks like I'm not paying attention half the time. Right. And that's that's a weird thing to like get used to. Is having conversations with like, you know, people's heads tilted to the side because they're looking at their monitor. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're having an in-person conversation, you're going to look over there and be like, what what are they looking at? What what's happening over there? And what's interesting is um when I'm doing digression slightly um when we do online gaming like we play our collective game or when mm-hmm. i play in tabletop games that doesn't bother me because i assume people are looking up stuff at the table right yeah no same but i mean like also if i'm playing D with people and they like look at something i'm assuming that they're looking at something for their character right that that's that's fine i don't mind it nearly as much with like personal online gaming but if i am like i said doing a panel or having a conversation with somebody there is a weird thing with with all the virtual stuff that we're not, you know, observing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're at a convention, you're you're in the same room, you're got the same place, you're observing the same thing. If something funny happens off to your left, you can go, "Hey, look at that funny thing!" Right? You know. And here it's like, "Oh, there's a funny thing happening outside my window. I will describe it to you in great detail." Um. <laughs> or even just little things like, um, uh, "Let's start at the end of the table and choose ourselves." You mm-hmm. can't do that. You know. Yeah, that's why when I when I run panels, I always just like call on people in whatever mm-hmm. order they are on in my Zoom call, which I'm assuming on the actual panel always looks out of order, right? Because I'm not looking at the actual Twitch stream. I'm going like, "Uh, you're next on my Zoom call," I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, even even that's a little like weird, as 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 opposed to like you said, going on the table. So yeah, there's there's a lot of differences, but there there also are some things that I love about online conventions. I love being able to just collate questions during the whole panel. Oh God, yes. Because I've been on panels where I had a question, like I've like watched panels where I had a question like five minutes in, and mm-hmm. then by the time I got to the end, I had forgotten my question. Right. And I was like, damn it, I had a good one. Or um, there are people who. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, um, well, like I, I have, I have a question, but first I have a statement, and yeah. they'll spend five minutes because they feel like they need the context for the question. Whereas in an online medium, they can give that context in chat. You can skim over that context and then pull out. Okay, but here's the question. Yeah, yeah, e- exactly. Um, and also, people with anxiety who don't want to stand up in front of other people and ask a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. like, that's that, that's what I mean about the accessibility of online conventions is that a they're mostly free. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes the games are paid, and usually it's partially towards charity mm-hmm. and partially to pay GMs, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the panels are generally free on Twitch, mm-hmm. uh, and then also I don't. I mean, like there's something to be said for being able to like be in my PJ pants during a panel, <laughs> and then like just wander out to my living room and watch TV 
between them or whatever. Yeah, that is. I mean, uh, uh, I, I certainly have really loved the idea that I can do five, six panels in a weekend for something like Onyx PathCon or whatever. And between times, I can go have dinner with my family. I can pet my dog and mm-hmm. you know watch like an episode of Honkai or whatever, and then come back and then do another panel. Whereas in a hotel, sometimes it's like, okay, well, I, I got to keep myself busy for an hour and a half, or um, it's the I've got to go to like a different part of the convention in fifteen minutes. I mean, the the, the physicality of space can sometimes be a detriment. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like it's it's everything's got drawbacks and, and positives. Uh, right. Because it is way more accessible for people who maybe can't get to conventions either financially or because of anxiety or, or just distance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's great. I love the fact that anybody can come to an online convention. But at the same time, one of the things that I... One of my favorite things about a, 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 an in-person convention is just walking through the hall. I was about I, to say that, yeah. I, I just want to look at a bunch of different shit. And mm-hmm. I haven't yet seen any kind of online vendor hall that replicates that feeling. Yeah. Like some companies have, like some, some online conventions have had them. They even do like little vendor hall spotlights, which is great. Um, but it's, it's not the same. I want to touch a die, you know, yeah. <laughs> I like want to pick up a book and look at it. And I want to talk to the person who made the book and be like, what is this book about? This, this, this looks cool. I am touching it. It, it, it is tactile. I want to be distracted by a booth and be like, Ooh, what's that thing over there? You know? And that's, you- that's, I think what I miss the most about conventions that that and my friends, obviously, friends I mean, friends are the most. But then that, I mean, one hundred percent agree. I mean, like usually when I go to a convention, um, I discover at least one new game every time mm-hmm. I go. I don't always buy it, uh, but I always, you know, find a game if I have time. I play a demo, but at least I, oh, hey, this is, I never heard of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like you said, there's just been no replication for that. And for some companies, that's actually a big problem uh, because. If they're if companies trying to sell a game and it's not gotten the the online connection that it needs, you know, people aren't buying as much online or in stores or whatever that they that hope for. Traditionally, another avenue a company can do is to take that game to conventions and sell it directly at a convention. That's another kind of sales avenue that's really strong, particularly for independent. Uh, publishers yeah also telling people about things ahead of time like of course we used to always do the like and we did it digitally this past year mm-hmm. but we always do the onyx path publishing for sure mm-hmm. and usually we get to hand that out at conventions and yep. like we do a nice big glossy brochure it's not like a piece of paper you can just crumple and throw away mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a magazine essentially it is um and it's 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 nice and it has upcoming stuff so it's possible that like had we put it out last year at PAX, for instance, if we had gone to PAX Unplugged last year, which it, it didn't happen, but, you know, right. then it's possible the Anima Kickstarter that we have going on right now would be bigger. Mm-hmm. We can't measure that because right. we just don't know. Mm-hmm. But, like, not having that avenue to bring in new fans has been rough uh, because it is like, yeah, like, where do you go to bring in new people? Right. I know a lot of people discover tabletop role-playing games in the past year or two, mm-hmm. and that's great. Uh, that is that is one of the side effects of of the pandemic that I am not an, uh, unhappy about is people who discovered D anD D, and 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 therefore hopefully other games, um, but like it is harder. Like when you, when I I love having fans come up to the table at, at at a PAX Unplugged or a Midwinter and be like, I have never heard of you. Tell me about your games. Yes, absolutely. and I'm like, yes, let me tell you about all of these games. What are you interested in? You know, this one's kind of like Mass Effect. This one's D anD D with dogs. You know, this one is laser pistols and feelings on Mars. Like, 
be and like be, be being able to do that and like touch them and hold them up and say, look at this, look at this, look at this. Uh, and it, it's not people who already follow us. Like you're all wonderful and I love you and thank you right. for your support during this time. But I, I, I also want new people. Like right. I, I have a, a, a friend who's also one, one of our newer freelancers and she keeps like making sales of our books at her job. <laughs> like, like telling people <laughs> about them. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's awesome. If, if like everybody was like you, that would be amazing. Right. But that's just not a viable marketing strategy. No. <laughs> like it is cool that you've gotten a few sales and I love that you have. Mm-hmm. But like I can't make everyone do that. Wish I could sometimes. But uh but yeah, like currently the anime Kickstarter, we're like halfway through at at at, at the time of recording. Mm-hmm. Um obviously a time of release will be like closer to actually closer to the end. Well right. we'll have about a week to go. Um, and like, it, it it's not, it, it's a new setting and I, I get mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. but also I just feel like it could be doing better. And I feel like if we had had the past year to promote it offline, that might've also helped. Right. And I mean, I, we, we, we have been finding, every company has been finding new ways to try to promote and get things out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, uh, the issue is something that, uh, the video game space has been struggling with for a long time. Uh, the concept called discoverability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it stems from initial early studies of the Steam platform because Steam was kind of not the first, but the most earliest, most prominent storefront for all kinds of, of games. Yeah. Um, Drive to RPG pre-exists Steam, I think, briefly, but I mean, Steam became into prominence very quickly. And so a lot of publishers put their stuff on Steam and what they discovered is that when you have, I think it's fair to say, millions of games to choose from, it all blurs together. How do mm-hmm. you possibly find something that w- would be for you? And so it, it's really more firehose. It's like, if I know you want the exact thing, you can easily find the exact thing and get it. No problem. And uh, usually there's uh, people who like this also like these other things. And that mm-hmm. usually helps a little bit with discoverability, but popular games that people are constantly looking for will continue to rise up on the charts and therefore continue to be recommended more because more people are buying them. So you have this catch 22 of the popular games keep getting noticed, which means discoverability isn't really being helped. Yeah. Um, so all online purchasing is like that. If you go to Amazon and just go, I, I want to go to Amazon, but I don't know what to buy. Someone's going to look around Amazon and see if I can buy just a thing. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Um, same with drive through RPG. I mean, again, they're, they're continuing to make strong efforts to try to, make discoverability better but mm-hmm. at the end of the day you have so many options to choose from that it can kind of all blur together whereas at a convention only people go to the convention that automatically limits it but then you're looking at each booth one after another and even if you're just walking past it it's in the corner of your eye or something and something might drag your attention and draw you in in a way that online just can't easily replicate mm-hmm. yeah totally and it, it, it might be the fact that i'm you know standing behind the booth eating a homemade cookie from lee thomas and i'm like do you want a cookie mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I have gotten you into my web. Um, also, the amount of people that I just strong arm into playing demos. I'm like, I'm like, you, you want to play a demo? There's a demo happening right now. Demo. Or, uh, I mean, how many people have come by the booth and said, "I saw, I saw this picture of a dog in armor. Tell me, what, what is this thing?" You know, Hugmire. Right. Or, <laughs> or hear the the song that gets played on loop endlessly, <laughs> hours at a time. But yeah, no, I mean, that's and like, I don't want it to sound like we're like whining, like, oh, it's hurt our sales. Because I also know that there are like 18,000 factors going into this. Right. And like, people have less money probably mm-hmm. than they have in the past. Because like, 
you save some money working from home, but also a lot of people have, you know, had financial hardship in the past couple of years. Right. And so, and like for all, for like every dollar that I feel like I saved working from home is a dollar I spent on freaking takeout too. Cause I got bored making my own food. Sure. Um, and so like, that's, that's part of it. Uh, we obviously, if, if you've read our blog or you've seen any other game companies talking about it, we have a shipping issue and a paper shortage right now. And that means that a lot more people are going to PDFs, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, half the price of a book or, or, or less sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, which is great for the environment. It's, it's, it's great that you're doing things on PDF. I, I don't like having game books on PDF personally. I, I prefer having physical copies. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that's another reason that like numbers may be down. It, it, it doesn't account so much for number of backers, but it does account for the overall number of a Kickstarter being a little down. Um, and then, of course, shipping costs have skyrocketed and have been having huge delays. Right. Um, and I know Eddie knows a lot more about that than I do. Yeah. You know? um, for for context, um, it, it's not out yet. It won't be by the time this recording is going on. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I am working on a script for a video talking about what's been going on uh, and, and start first of all this is a scary topic so honestly if you want to fast forward a little bit to you know near the end where i'm sure we'll make some funny jokes about something but um is it scary the steve jackson blog uh recently posted that the current situation is a quote extinction level event unquote that's terrifying and Um, when i start digging into it it's not that far off for some companies (laughs) But full disclosure, Onyx Path, as far as we know, are in a, we're in a good place. We have been lucky enough and smart enough that the way we structured our business to always be digital forward has really helped insulate us from a lot of this. Yeah. Um, a good chunk of this is really focused heavily on board and card game manufacturers in particular. Yeah, we are so. coming up on our 10-year anniversary. We're not like announcing that we're shutting down, I promise. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, Tabletop RPGs are getting some knockoff off this and certain... Uh, avenues of the RPG production are being affected by this, but a lot of the extinction of something okay, Steve Jackson games, they, a lot of their money comes from board and card games. So that's why they're feeling it much harder. Um, tabletop role playing games that focus more on getting books in stores are feeling it much harder. But uh, uh, to kind of set up the dominoes, as it were, um, obviously, uh, uh, the, 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 weirdly, it starts with the fact that sales for games were up 20% in 2020. They actually Mm-hmm. Sold a lot better because people were home and bored. Yeah. And once again, for there, there was a while there in 2020 where a bunch of us were like, man, we saved some money this year. Right. Because we didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, tangentially, but interestingly, also, uh, sales of Yu-Gi-Oh cards have gone through the roof in the past two years. Uh, because a lot mm-hmm. of people went to their closets and said, oh, hey, I haven't played Yu-Gi-Oh in forever. And they're just selling their cards for massive amounts of money. And so the Yu-Gi-Oh trade, which pay card market is flooded um, appraisers have 500% more business than they did in 2019. Um, but I bring it up because it's anecdotally relevant. Um, so ga- ga- games are exploding, but simultaneously, um, people weren't going into the factories to print games because they were all shut down. Uh, so that made it hard to get things back up to speed. And, there, and people are still having trouble holding on to uh, uh, personnel, even in 2021. So there a lot of publishers and printers aren't up to full speed. A uh, number of published printers have shut down. Uh, over 200 have shut down in China. Um, two of the three biggest printers in the U.S. have shut down completely. Um, so there are now more work on less printers and less people to make them. Uh, then uh, 
the price of wood pulp, which is used to make paper, has skyrocketed from about $75 a metric ton to $125 a metric ton in just the past year. That so, sounds like a lot. Yeah, paper's almost doubled in cost. Uh, and so if everyone's trying to make as much as possible and get it done as fast as possible, they're spending more money to do it, uh, then they're trying to get stuff shipped out. Uh, but every industry is also trying to ship these out because people are buying a lot more because they're stuck at home. They need to buy more things. So shipping is getting jammed up. Uh, and shipping generally will prioritize things like, like medicine and electronics over board games and books. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's, uh, shipping is more expensive and also will take longer, particularly from overseas. Uh, and then, you know, to cap all that off, um, it's harder to make the books or the games. It's harder to ship them. It's harder to get them in people's hands. And even just the COVID stuff aside, uh, we have to deal with things like Brexit, which have changed how shipping gets handled uh, and has made things more expensive. Um, uh, and, and as different countries have different quarantine protocols, that impacts shipping. And that changes. Uh, there are less people who are, can work in certain shipping areas. Certain ports have shut down completely in China. Uh, so, again, there's the continued bottlenecking keeps happening. Uh, so, uh, what, and part of my research, um, of, of at least three or four publishers have stated that mm -hmm. their sh their shipping costs have exploded two or three times. Yeah. Um, one publisher printed that, uh, generally speaking, shipping and manufacturing take about 10 to 15% of a game's cost. Oh, sorry. Shipping takes 10% of the game cost. Manufacturing takes about... 20% of the game's cost. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, uh, shipping is 40% of the game's cost, and the manufacturing has gone up to about 30%. So yeah. what would have been 70% of profit to pay off all of your bills is now shrunk to 30%. Yeah, there have been, a, like, I, I forgot who, but there have been a couple of companies that have just folded because yep. their mm -hmm. board games were sitting on a, a shipping container not being able to be unloaded Yeah, because they couldn't pay for it. Because, like, from the time of their crowdfunding or their pre-order or whatever to the time of actual shipping mm -hmm. everything had doubled and so you know you 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 set aside certain amounts from your kickstarter going like okay this will fulfill the shipping and right. like all the all the clients have now paid or all the customers have now paid for the shipping right mm -hmm. and so but then if shipping doubles then you have to eat that cost mm -hmm. because the customer's already paid right so if i pay you know 75 dollars for a board game which is, you know, like $60 for the game, 15 shipping, let's, mm -hmm. let's say. And I had paid that in 2019 and the game just finished production in 2021, which is not unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, then now for every game they ship, they have to pay an additional $15. Mm -hmm. And if they have to do that a hundred thousand times or even a thousand times, that adds up yep. a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I mean, like you said, people have already bought these games, but even if you printed the game and you finally get it out and you get it in the stores, on the box is a certain uh, manufacturer-suggested retail price. That's been printed on the box. Mm -hmm. You can't really increase that price anymore. No. If anything, a lot of shops might decrease it slightly. Right. Because that's the better way to get sales is to be mm -hmm. able to undercut other people. Right. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's you know 60 online. We sell it for 55 Yep. Yay. But if they, once again, if the retailer paid to get it all shipped there, and now it's, you know, twice as much money to do that, 
then they have to make twice as much profit to cover it or not twice as much but you know more mm-hmm. more more to cover it and like i'm not a big math economy person so don't like clog me on on discord about all this but it's 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 a lot right now and whenever i see any company talking about it it's been very scary mm-hmm. um just like there was a printer in Europe of, of like fiction books, like a regular printer yep. who, you know, posted something on Twitter like a month ago now that 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 said, like, this is the last book we were printing for this year. We don't have any paper. Yep. Um, and like. We we've we've been telling people on the blog and in Discord, like to buy presents if you want physical books as early as possible this 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 year. Yep. Um. And if you don't think it's going to get there in time, maybe instead just, you know, get a gift card for the person for drive through or something um, or, you know, buy it digitally for them. Yeah. Because, it, yeah, it's 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 hard right now. I mean, um, uh, Image and DC, both massive comic book companies, um, has said they're not going to be reprinting comics. Normally, it's pretty common for a very popular comic to get a two or three reprints. Oh, yeah. No, we, 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 we always got reprints at, at, mm-hmm. at, at the shop when I worked there. And now it's it's first print is done. So once you once you sell those, that's it. Yeah. Um, which which would have been very frustrating for like certain of the big crossover events. I mean, yeah. we were doing like Civil War two and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people were coming in, you know, like or or the uh, Black Panther run by Tony Coates or any of the other like big kind of blockbustery ones that were coming out when I was working there. Had we not gotten reprints of that, we would have had a like we we would have lost lots of sales because right. we get you know. 27 in the first run 20 for subscribers and seven for the shelf mm-hmm. but then people would hear about it if it was like a big issue right like you know oh it's the issue where so-and-so dies and so like random people that didn't usually buy it would come in and be like oh i'm gonna get two copies or whatever else uh because i'm gonna bag one and keep the other one right. or they want to get back issues to, for the story leading up to that and... right yeah yeah and we, we just don't, don't have them um and that, that would have sucked because yeah we always try to keep like a few back issues if somebody decided to come in on batman 15 and grab all 15 of them we wanted to have that available you right. know so right yeah i mean so uh, i i bring all this up um uh, not to, to terrify people i mean i i'm i'm scared but uh there is some might at the tunnel again just to reiterate um, Onyx Paths always been a company that really has pushed forward on print and demand and PDF, and our movement in that direction has been really helped us a lot. I think in through all of this. In fact, yeah. we saw a, a sales increase uh, at bits and pieces through all of this because people are like, "I want to buy this book now!" Boom, download it and start playing. Yep, and we've been focusing a lot on uh, increasing support for virtual tabletop and putting mm-hmm. more adventures out for that um, because that's obviously you know, where a lot of people went in the past year and a half. And I think mm. where a lot of people have realized they're more comfortable. Like some, some people are more comfortable playing online. Yeah. Um, I, I personally don't like almost can't play a game if, if it's not voice. Right. Because I will get distracted by something. Sure. But like, uh, even then like voice, voice only games have gotten bigger using things like foundry or astral or any of the other ones. Um, roll 20 obviously is like the like big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like using those to run games, uh, running games for people in, in discords, doing play by post games for, 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 for some folks, it's, it's always been a thing, but of course in the past year and a half, it got bigger. And I think a lot of people are going to keep doing it because it means you can play with your friends who don't live near you. Right. Like, yeah, it's cool if I have a local gaming group, cause I, I do have local friends that I game with, but it's also cool if I can play with Eddie, you know, who I don't live near. So I can't exactly. just like go over to his house. 
Yeah, or we can game with Matthew in a way that we couldn't have done easily. Yeah, yeah. Like we've we've still been doing that Sherlock Holmes consulting detective game off and on like for over a year now. Mm-hmm. And that's been great because we we do it early enough in the morning for us that it's, mm-hmm. you know, afternoon for Matthew. Mm-hmm. And we all get to play a game together. And it's, you know, somebody in Texas, somebody in Atlanta, somebody in Maryland, and somebody in England. Yeah. And like that that's cool that we can do that and do it regularly. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, it does mean the fact that we have to recognize, like I said, the reality. I mean, you know, so part of it is, like we said, shifting to VTT uh, to kind of make that. Also, that's starting to impact our designs a little bit. I mean, let's let's talk about Anima for a second. Um, during the design of Anima, I remember have, looking over the manuscript and going, okay, how can we tweak and adjust this so it's a little easier to run online? Because there's a whole new system inside of it. And so we have to kind of think about little things like how is the dice rolling going to work and are we presenting too much information? Um, how can we uh, not necessarily uh, take advantage of VTT because it still needs to also work well in a table environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's little things like you can't do uh, initiative like the, the person on your left goes because in a VTT, you know, like we said earlier, you don't have that table orientation to, to key off of. Uh, that was one thing that when I, adapted uh fetch quest to roll 20 that i had to rewrite the rules because a lot of the rules are so based around you're sitting around a table and i had to mm-hmm. rewrite chunks of it to make sure that it actually worked and some of the cards i had to basically say well the card text says this but do this instead yeah we've been trying to change the language in a lot of our like storytelling sections um to to make sure that we include how to run these games if you're not at a table mm-hmm. um like at a physical table uh because that's something that wasn't as big of a thing i guess <laughs> and so we just didn't like people were adapting stuff for, 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 for tabletop for like virtual tabletop but now that's more the norm right. and so having that like explicitly in our rule books as like hey if you're on vtt like try these things you know like try try this try this try these assets or try this technique or maybe use this kind of initiative or whatever mm-hmm. um just to make sure that people are you know getting the best experience that they can. Right, exactly. Uh, uh, but to go back a little bit, uh, um, so yeah, we, we, we've made this pivot and we're recognizing that I think a lot of the companies are, are similarly recognizing that they have to adapt and change. Uh, but all the stuff I said before, recognize that as far as I can tell, that is a probably a temporary situation. Mm-hmm. At some point in time, the workload will equalize partially because more plans will come online, more, they'll hire more workers, partially because, to be honest, some companies will have business and therefore won't be putting their orders in. Oh, um, that's so sad. It's sad, but I mean, that's just the reality of it. Uh, uh, so at some point in time, things will, it may take a year or two, but things will cool down. Shipping will, will start to work better, partially because it's affecting so many parts of our society that government agencies are not going to look into how they can alleviate and adjust shipping concerns so i mean i think that there's a lot of reasons why shipping will be solved and that won't naturally uh impact and help out stuff we're doing too but mm-hmm. shipping's still going to be higher for a while um uh, the wood costs are probably not going to drop for a bit uh because we use so much paper and it I, it, it's one of those things that like i'm glad they're doing it but it, right now is a little awkward timing because a lot of companies are committing to getting rid of plastics and replacing plastic products with paper products. Right. Yeah. In, in, in Maryland, for instance, uh, there's a five cent surcharge for plastic bags mm-hmm. and a lot of places don't have them anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 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 different throughout the country. I know that some some, right. some states have banned them entirely. Uh, some some places like like here obviously do like a kind of mixture. Mm-hmm. Like if I but I you know if I go to this like one Walgreens, I get paper bags. If I go to this other one, I get plastic, and like there's no rhyme or reason to it. Right. Um. That it, that that I can find. But yeah, like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, we'll switch to paper because it's you know it's biodegradable. It's it's more this that the other. It's 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 more sustainable. And like now we're like, well, we're out of paper. So right. uh, not sure what to do about that. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, it, it, it's 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 a domino effect of one thing after another. Um, it's hitting a lot of industries, but due to a certain confluence of events, it's hitting tabletop particularly hard. Partially because the margins on tabletop games, both board games, card games, and role playing games, are pretty thin to begin with. Yeah, uh, I have, so. I've talked about this a, a bunch in that like games, like spe- specifically video games mm-hmm. and tabletop games are the main two things that I have not seen the cost increase in like 30 years. Yeah. I mean, a little bit here and there, but the prices for a lot of things have doubled in the past, you know, 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and tabletop role-playing games are still, you know, 30 to 60 bucks for the most part. Most of mm-hmm. them land around 50 for like mm-hmm. like core rulebook, 50 or 60. Um, most video games, as long as you're not buying the like ultra prestige edition, mm-hmm. are about $60. Yep. Um, or or way less if it's like an indie game generally, right. like um, you know I have I have I have games that I bought for ten dollars that I had just as much fun with as games that I spent a hundred bucks to get the super deluxe version of. Um, but video games also have had a big difference in that they're, they've they've gone so digital, like so many of them are digital only for a lot of people now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have actually decreased packaging costs in video <laughs> games for the most part. Right. Whereas with tabletop games, people seem to want the big, pretty editions still half the time. Right. Like, they want the shiny cover. They want the leatherette. They want this, that, and the other. Um, but there's still, you know, like, I, I like, see people talk about how, you know, some of the more prestige-looking books are expensive. And I'm like, role-playing games have infinite hours of play compared to video games. I mean, some video games do, te- te- technically. But, like, you're getting so much for... The, for the value in my opinion right and i honestly wish that the industry could sustain going up in price by a bit mm-hmm. um but a lot of that would have to be led by the big companies um which is more difficult and like i know people will probably have hot takes about this and that's that's fine uh there's lots of lots of nuance in here that i'm not going to be able to get into in this right. podcast yeah uh like lots and lots and lots and lots of nuance. So please don't think that I'm making like one statement that is, you know, the, the statement. But I mean, I, I was buying Vampire the Masquerade books for like 40 or 50 bucks back in high school. Um, a lot of them were like 30 and then some of them were, were more depending on the book. Right. And then I'm still, I can still buy Vampire the Masquerade books for, you know, 40 or 50 bucks depending on the book. And that's just odd considering other price changes right i mean and and uh uh to add on that a little bit um you're not even counting for things like the fact that uh tabletop role-playing games have primarily gone from black and white to being primarily color which adds to the cost both in production and in purchasing the original art mm-hmm. yeah um and also paper quality has generally considered to, the default paper standard is much higher which also costs more mm-hmm. um so I'd have to do some hard numbers and talk to an economist, but I think you can make a case that the the, the actual 
cost in terms of how money has changed and, and how much can be made from books probably has decreased over the years. Yeah, probably. Um, and that's going to be even harder because, again, like I said, now the production costs have ballooned and shipping costs have ballooned. Um, and we every Kickstarter, there, there's someone who understandably is like, oh, my God, shipping costs the book. Well, I'll consider buying the digital version instead. Yeah, and, and like know, that's that's not on us. We don't set the shipping prices. Right, and, and, and I mean, to, to credit um, – the blame on us has been steadily decreasing. People are more and more recognizing that this is not something we can control. They're just upset. Yeah, because they're seeing but, it from every company. Right. But I mean, you know, there's a very real – I recognize, like, I would have got this for 75 bucks, but 150 I don't know if I want it that much. Mm-hmm. And so for – what you're going to see probably is a lot more nostalgia reboots because those make more money. I mean, we've seen it make money before, but now they're, they're much safer investments because, like, if we did another – made the ascension book right that's going to make a certain amount of money where something mm-hmm. new like anima it's it's untried and untested and, and we've got at this time of recording some really fantastic excited people who are uh, invested in it, and that's so gratifying i don't want to take away from that in any shape or form i mean i mm-hmm. feel like for the uphill battle that we've had we're doing really really well in terms of how anima is doing kickstarter and how people are excited by it i'm very pleased with where anima's at but you're right there's always the question of like if this, was, if this was just 19, would it have done better? Yeah. And also, like, I mean, if, if if you look at a nostalgia property versus a new property, the numbers are kind of staggering unless the new property generates buzz for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a really unique new thing, you know? Um, I was stunned at how well Pugmire did because it should not have done that well. Right. But also, if you look at even just the, like, backer numbers for a lot of things, if you look at, like, uh, the Aeon and Core Kickstarter, mm-hmm. uh, which was our, our first, you know, Trinity reboot kind of thing, was uh, almost 2,000 backers. Mm-hmm. Um, Ex- Exalted Essence was over 4,000 backers, because mm-hmm. people like Exalted. And currently, we're under 1,000 on Anima. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I am on some level struggling to understand why, because I think it's amazing. Like, I think sure. the setting is so fucking cool. <laughs> And on the other level, I get it. Like, I, I I see it both ways. And, like, I am hoping that, you know, we get, we get little pops and surges here, as we often do with, mm-hmm. with, with, with Kickstarters. But, like, the team was just so excited about this game. And I really wish I could just, like, explode that excitement onto everybody else. And that kind of brings us full circle, because I couldn't do that because there were conventions. Like, right. I would have been in every panel that we had at a live convention being like, anima, anima, anima. I would have said to every, like, I would have been the same way with anima that I was when we announced Essence at PAX Unplugged mm-hmm. at, in 2019, I guess. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, ah, 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 look at this thing we're doing. We're doing a really cool thing. Look at this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we, we had, like, press releases we were giving out to people. We had little, like, you know, just cool, cool stuff. And not being able to do that has been annoying just because I love it so much. Like, not not because I'm like, we need to make all the money. Although, you know, that's nice. But, like, I love Anima. And and, and Dominic loves Anima. And, and, and Ian and Eddie love Anima. And Danielle loves Anima. Like, we all love Anima so, so, so much. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, please look at our game. Please. <laughs> right. So this is the, the Ouroboros we have right now in the industry, which is why I thought it was worth, I think you suggested, I think it was worthwhile to kind of talk through these topics. Because yeah. when we... 2020 was very much venting about how are we going to get through this? 2021 was certainly, we're going to get back together, but things are going to be awkward now. I mean, as we move to 2022, it's like, no, the industry has changed. And a lot of companies, including us, are going to be 
continuing to try to figure out new ways to innovate and progress. And some companies are just not going to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, uh, to kind of end this uh, on somewhat of a positive note, like if there are companies that you want to support like us or any other company you want to support or games that you want to support, doing things like pre-orders are going to be hugely helpful. Backing Kickstarters are going to be hugely helpful. Uh, Even if you go and give a little bit of money because Anima is going to be one of those games that will probably sell better once it's in the world. Once people are yeah. back in the world and there's a physical book to pick up and flip through and people start playing it, word will spread and people pick it up more. And, you know, there are, Pugmire was much the same way. Like, we had, again, had a strangely powerful initial Kickstarter, but it continues to, to grow and swell because people keep discovering the game over, even over the past five, five six years. I, I, uh, I've always loved it when somebody comes up at, like convention and it's like what's this and it's like it, it's pugmire right. and i'm like i'm like oh, i get to tell someone about pugmire right for the first time this is the best day of my life <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know I mean, it's it's it doesn't have the audience of like a world darkness or a scarred lands um but that those are games that do well over time and to build an audience and then if we eventually have to do another edition of them then that audience comes to the table and now we have built our own nostalgia audience if you will yeah one of my downstairs neighbors is currently painting cat minis specifically so i can run monarchies for them oh nice so and they're really cute little cat minis they're like one of those collections that we've like seen on kickstarter right i forgot the actual one it's called but Mm. it it is one of the ones where they're more anthropomorphic like they're like standing up and holding swords and things okay and uh and yeah so she's like painting these really good minis and i'm like i'm like okay so i have to run a cat game for you now and she's like yes (laughs) okay (laughs) And that's awesome. So yeah, I think Animal will be in that same spot. I mean, it, it doesn't have the. I remember playing that game back in the day, instant buy dynamic. Um, but you know, I'm gonna keep saying this: 1,000 people is not a bad at all for a brand new property. Um, and no, I it's think not. People I just... are really excited about it. Again, there's always gonna be the. I wish you could do more, and I completely right. get. I that. just want all the Trinity people from the other Kickstarters <laughs> to look at this one. <laughs> right, I, I totally get that. Um, but that's the other thing is I mentioned pre-orders way to help another way to help is, is in fact spreading the word on, on products you're really invested in because discoverability is so bad because um, everyone's trying to get their stuff out there, right? There's a lot of noise out there. And when you have an infinite size dealer's hall to wander through, mm-hmm. to your analogy, um, it's impossible to concentrate any one thing. So someone saying, hey, I think you'll like this game. You should check it out means a lot. So there are different ways that you can help us out. Um, and we're going to keep uh, – thinking of new ways to try to get things going. But it's sometimes, now that we're past the kind of immediate concerns of stay inside because it's bad outside and then how that impacts our immediate kind of concern, Mm -hmm. we're now moving into a lot of the invisible costs and the invisible uh, uh, problems that are happening to a lot of people and how they cascade and impact us. (laughs) We're kind of talking through all those. (laughs) Because anima... um, (laughs) It is worth kind of talking through those so that way uh, you recognize that it's if we do have to start putting up books, you know, increasing the cover price of $10 or whatnot, it's not because we're greedy. It's because we got to cover our costs. And honestly, a lot of the companies are doing the exact same thing. Honestly, like every creator I know, like indie creator, is all for upping costs of books. It's yeah, just a yeah. matter of if the market will support it. And I think people are scared. I think mm-hmm. people are scared that players will go – Oh, that that was sixty dollars, but now it's seventy, and that's too much. Like that's yeah. that's too much for a book. Um, even though you know they'll spend ten dollars on dice, even though they already have dice at home, <laughs> and that's right. that's that's a, a a thing that you have to think about when you're when you're juggling this. And also, is someone going to spend 
$70 on one of our books when D&D is 50 um yep. and like that's that's a like question to think about but everyone i know is up for raising prices because we have increased what we pay freelancers we pay artists this that and the other and we've been doing that pretty steadily mm-hmm. um so as as eddie said like it costs a lot more to produce a book now than it used to and you know we haven't really raised our prices in a while mm-hmm. um yes we but, occasionally sell but like deluxes for a, a lot of money but they're deluxes they're special editions Right. And, and to your point, uh, some of that does have to come from bigger companies. And it, I know there's some people who think of Onyx Paths as a big company. We are not. We are, by most definitions, an indie publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, we need people like the Paizos and the Hasbros to really be doing this because in the video game sphere, we saw this, uh, particularly in mobile space. There was a mm-hmm. period of time where most any app game was a dollar. And if it was more than a dollar, it was too expensive. Um, it wasn't until bigger publishers came in and said, no, we're going to price our games at $15, $10, you know, $20. Mm-hmm. And then the medium price started to raise. And now it's the point where if a game is free or really cheap, people look at it a little askance, like, okay, what's wrong with it? How are you making your money? Yeah. Like, am I going to have to pay $5 to get rid of the ads? Right. Exactly. Which I will happily do. Like, I sure. have, I, I play a, a fair amount of games on mobile, partially because that's something that I can concentrate on while I'm listening to something. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, like, there have been many, many games that I've had where I've been like, well, I, I play this all the time, so I can throw them $10 every now and then. Like, right. yes, it's a microtransaction. I'm, I'm aware of what's happening. I'm not just, like, mindlessly doing it. But, like, I feel like if I get that like, several hours of gameplay out of a game, giving them money isn't a bad thing. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I feel with role-playing games. It's like, for real, you get one book and you technically have infinite stories. Mm-hmm. And so that's super cool to me, but also makes me kind of be like, this this could cost more, technically. Right. And a lot of people just don't see it because it is a book. But if yep. you think of it as a video game with like DLC and shit like that, that's also interesting. I, I, right. I don't know. They're, they're all thought experiments. They're all things that I've like noodled on with, with friends and with other creators. Um, and clearly haven't talked to like Wizards of the Coast about because I don't know them. I don't have their um, number, no. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have one friend over there, but she works in the Magic Card Division. <laughs> Actually, I take it back. I think I do have a couple people at Hasbro's number, but it's like three years ago that they got their business cards. Yeah, I think I might have a Pathfinder card somewhere. But right. once again, yeah. from like three years ago at PAX Unplugged. Right. Um, again, I, networking. I, I don't even know if they still work there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a lot to contemplate. Mm-hmm. I am thoroughly excited that Anima has done as well as it has done. Um, also at time of listening to this, I'm probably about to leave for Philly if this comes out when I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be at PAX Unplugged tomorrow, which is awesome. So find Dixie uh, and talk, ask her about Anima. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll just, I'll just like wear one of those like san- sandwich boards with mm-hmm. a picture of Anima on the front. <laughs> just the like book cover. Right. Just walk around like that. Like ask, ask me about, about this game. Anima. Uh, no, I will be there. Uh, anyone looking for me, I do have the green hair and the big cat eye glasses from the photos. My hair is a little different. Uh, I'm also 5'1", so don't look up for me. <laughs> angle down. Angle angle downward, look for the green hair with the half shave. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would not be at... Uh, Pack some plugs, but I again, I'm at midwinter. If you happen to be there, you know, well, let's 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 chat because I'll probably be starved for human attention at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I know at least a few of us are planning to bring some games that I, I've got a backlog of games that I kickstarted two years ago that I haven't had a chance to play, so I'm probably to bring some of those too. Yeah. Totally. Um. Uh. So yeah, I mean, but at the end of all this, I mean, 
like they said, there's a lot going on. We can't possibly understand all of it. It's, 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 it's a very complicated situation. So I think if you take away one thing from all this is be kind to all of us right now, because we're still figuring out how to get back into the swing of things. And it's going to take, a, everything's going to be awkward and take longer and things are going to be weird. And that's just the nature of things for a good, a good while. I think at this point we have to accept that things are going to be weird for a while and we just have to be okay with that. Pretty uh, so, much, yeah. Uh, we are we are at time, so hey, we talked an hour. Hooray. We never do that, but we usually. We actually talked over an hour because we got all like into our you know feelings about this, this stuff. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 been a weird couple of years, as everybody knows, and the state of the industry is odd. It's odd right now, and I think a lot of people are trying to untangle it and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, as as Eddie said, more it's it's, it's hit board and card game publishers a lot harder. Um, and other games, I'm assuming that involve human contact, like miniatures games. I have no idea how those have been doing the past. I, I, I also think LARPs are probably struggling a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have, I have, I have some friends who have returned to LARPing and some friends who have not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we'll bounce back. I'm excited. Uh, Onyx Path, like I said, is in no trouble right now. Uh, we're we're doing all right, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I know Rich Rich has been pretty upfront with uh, what's been going on on the blog. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, 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 it's weird out there right now. It's really all I can say. There's a lot going on. Uh, so if people wanted to ask you about anima or just how weird things are, where would they find you online? <laughs> you can find me at Dixie Cyanide on most social media. I've been tweeting about anima on Twitter constantly and uh, hanging out not only in the Onyx Pathcast channel on the Discord, but also in the anima channel. Uh, because as, as, a, as of time of recording, my chapter that I wrote the bulk of has just dropped. And so I'm like, do you like it? Is it good? Give me praise, please. I would like some dopamine from you. Thank you. Please um, give to me dopamine. But no, honestly, the response to the game has been amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. People are so excited about everything that, that, that we put out. We've apparently nailed the tone we were going for, which is like, yeah. look at this happy, fun so place. Oh, it's actually terrifying. It. I was so worried about that. Yeah, yeah. But people seem to really enjoy the tone. Um, even some of the stuff that I put in the, like, uh, Sinestia chapter. Mm. of like oh yeah glass is great because it you know pulls things from your play style and makes the ideal game for you but also it reads your social media right and also it it might read your email and it knows about that weird thing that you looked up that one time it's fine it's okay uh yeah no you can find me hanging out in those channels hanging out and tomorrow you can find me at Vax. tonight you can maybe find me at bank and bourbon uh (laughs) Possibly. That's not uncommon. That's pretty much our hangout spot. So I'll I'll possibly be there. Uh, don't come find me at dinner because my boyfriend and I are having dinner reservations by ourselves. There you go. <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, Pugsteady.com. It's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find me on Twitter at Pugsteady. You can find me in probably the same anima spaces because you got to get that last push to anima, get, anima, things, anima, anima. get things going. Again, I mean, you're, you're talking about it, but it's a very exciting game. I'm very happy with how it turned out. I love that game. And I love that people are like already going like, I want more episodes of the Polyhedron podcast. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, I'm like, I'll bring her back. I like her. She's a fun character. Um, yeah. Uh, but also beyond anima, there's other stuff to check out at theonyxpath.com. So please go take a look. Um, you can always find us our stuff on drive through RPG or at your friendly neighborhood game store. Cause I'm sure right now they could probably stand a few extra bucks. And with all that said, many worlds, one path cast.